I read a story, it's a true story, of a, of a father who his little six-year-old boy was always asking him questions at the most inconvenient time. He was always on some kind of project, so his little boy would come and say, hey, Daddy, and ask a question. He'd say, I'm really busy right now, son. He said, would you, would you go find your mom and ask her? And so one day he said that, and he saw the disappointment on his little boy's face, and he thought, man, I need to quit doing that. And so he made a vow to himself, when my son asks me a question, I am going to drop everything, give him my full attention, and find out what he wants and help him. So he said his resolve was quickly tested. He was outside, he wanted to paint some trim on the second story of his house. He climbed up two stories in his ladder, he had his paint and paintbrush and bucket in hand, and he dipped his paintbrush into the bucket when he heard a little voice two stories below saying, Daddy, Daddy, and he went, Okay, he puts down the bucket, the brush, crawls all the way down. He gets down on both knees, looks him into the face, and says, Son, what can I do for you? And here was his son's reply. Where's mommy? Uh, so sometimes our best laid plans don't, don't always work, but I appreciate his heart and his willingness to honor that commitment to find out what his son wanted. So happy Father's Day to everyone. Well, we're going to talk on a topic today uh, that I decided to title because we're going to bridge it out a little further. I've titled Christian Truth About Sexuality. So I'll give you a warning. If you have children in here today and you want to dismiss them because I did not know that was going to be our topic, uh, then you can go back to the back and there's some ushers there and say, hey, I, I need to get my kid to escape here before he starts talking about this. Then now's your time. You can take them back there. And we've got wonderful children's ministries. And... Um, and sometimes we just put them in a locked room. And uh, no, we do not do that. I have to be careful. We do not do that. There's wonderful ministries going on around the church for your children. The topics that we're going to deal about today are from a Christian perspective and the truth as the word of God shows it. Now, it's interesting because no one, not me, not you, likes to be told that some way we are behaving could be wrong. We most certainly don't want to be told that a way we are behaving is sin and displeasing to God. That's true for any of us, me, you, anybody. And so I want to say as we deal with any topic where the word of God says stop this or start this, then we want this place here to be a safe place. We want this place to be a place where somebody could say, hey, on that topic you dealt with today, it wouldn't matter what it is, I need prayer. I need help. Like, like, for instance, this is not my topic today, but if I pick the topic of pornography, I think most of us would agree that viewing pornography is sinful and wrong. But if I got up here and spoke on that in such a hateful way, and I said, if you're looking at pornography, you disgust me. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you feel comfortable coming up to me and saying, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I'm struggling with pornography. You probably wouldn't. You'd probably say, this is, I definitely won't share that with the pastor because of what he just said. So I believe as we look at the word of God, that God's always challenging us, but he's also actually asking us as believers to find a place where we bring hope and help and healing to people. That's what we want to do. Uh, the Bible says if you see anyone caught in a sin, we're supposed to help them, not beat them up, condemn them, and make them feel horrible. Years ago, I was reading a book, and this person was ministering to a prostitute and said, hey, you need to come to church with me. Now, this is sad, and a lot of this was probably in her own perception, and a lot of it was probably the fault of, of the church. And she said, go to church? Why would I go to church? I already feel awful enough. Do you see what her mind was saying? If I go to church, it will, it, I will only be shamed and guilted and feel horrible. That should not be the case. The church should be a place that says, hey, we offer hope, we offer help, we offer healing. So, Paul one time talking said, you got a lot of teachers who want to tell you what to do, and a modern translation would probably say this, you got a lot of teachers that would like to boss you around, but you don't have many fathers. Well, I've finally got enough age on me that I can approach you as a father. When I first started pastoring here, I was 27 years old. Yeah. It was 10 years ago, yeah, 10 years ago, uh, 27 years old, 
And it was still kind of funny because people would come to me because as soon as you're a pastor, they come and want to seek counsel. And I think, counsel? I ain't figured out life myself, but that's kind of what people think. But you get enough age on, you say, I can speak to you as as a father. John Maxwell, if you've ever heard of him, he's uh, got a global leadership uh, business and was a pastor for decades and loves the Lord Jesus. And when he starts his talks, not all of them, but a lot of them, he will look out the people and he'll say, hi, my name's John. I'm your friend. I thought, oh, I like that. So I'm going to try that. Hey, my name's Tracy. I'm your friend. So let's just talk as friends and look at the Word of God. So we're going to talk about this concept of Christian truth about sexuality. And it will be a safe place for us to learn and grow. In 1 Timothy, uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, big chunks of it anyway, more books than anyone, is writing to his um, son in the faith. He says, he says, you are truly my son in the faith. And he says, Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people. That's a strong word, command so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. The goal of this command, to not teach false doctrines any longer, is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreaker and the rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. Basically, Paul would say, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a big list of things that need to be dealt with, but there are many more things that could be on this list. So as we talk about topics today, you may think, wow, I came out unscathed. He didn't mention anything I'm struggling with. Well, there's more to the list, okay? We just don't have enough time to go through all the list. So there's many more things that do not conform to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So my heart's like Paul's. To discover from the Bible, what do the Christian scriptures... When I say Christian scriptures, I think of the New Testament scriptures. Do I dislike the Old Testament? I love the Old Testament. So I'm just saying as Christians, I think we have to look a lot, not only because the Old Testament shows us things that give us insights to what's going on in the New Testament. But we need to look at the New Testament and see what is truth and what is not, and what is sound doctrine and what is not sound doctrine. The reason I divide that up a little bit is because many people will try to convince you that you don't have to do certain things because, or you may do certain things because, in the Old Testament, there was all kinds of rules. Oh my goodness, Tracy, we can't hold people to that standard of morality because in the Old Testament, too, when you see these rules, in the Old Testament, you were told also that you can't wear clothes with two different materials in it, and most people here are doing that today. You were told that you couldn't eat pork, but some of you chowed down on bacon this morning. So, so yeah, some of you just felt the Holy Ghost when I said the word bacon. Uh, and so, so, why, so there's all kinds of stuff in the Bible that says we can't do, so we're, we're free to do all kinds of things because you're just, you know, picking and choosing. But the truth is, and I don't have time to teach on it, but I've taught on it before, is that God has some very Jewish-specific laws, and then he has universal laws for all people. So when we start playing that game, we're only picking and choosing what we want to pick and choose because no one would allow me to get up here today and say, hey, you know what? People have been telling you that murder's wrong, but it ain't wrong. In the Old Testament, it says it's wrong, but you know what? So is eating pork in the Old Testament. No, we would all agree that stop murdering people, people. Do you watch the news up in Indianapolis day after day? Stop murdering people. We would say that's a universal law. doesn't matter if you're Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or atheist or agnostic or Christian, what race you are, what color you are. We need to stop killing people. We need to stop murdering people. And so we would agree that's a universal law. And so as we look at things that Paul has listed here, these are universal laws. These are the way we're looking in the New Testament. We're saying these are universal laws. You do notice that it didn't say anything about uh, eating pork or shellfish, it talked about different things. 
So we want to look at the New Testament scriptures. And you and I as Christians should have a Christian worldview, a Christian mindset. Now you may say, what in the world is that? That means we should look through the lens of Christianity. We should look through the lens of the teachings of Jesus and of, of our faith. That's what we should look through the lens of. But if you dismiss the word of God for the philosophies, opinions, ideologies of the culture, you do not have a Christian worldview. Now, I didn't say that you weren't a Christian. I just said you don't have a Christian worldview. And it would make sense as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we would want to have a Christian worldview. So we say, how do you get a Christian worldview? How do you have a Christian mindset? How do you see things through the lens of Christianity? By learning sound doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, command these people to stop teaching false doctrines. We need sound doctrine. Now you say, well, what's a doctrine? It's principles, it's teachings, it's, it's guidelines, it's codes of conduct. That, those are sound principles, sound doctrines that are taught. But here's the scary thing. Most Christians don't know their Bible. That's statistically proven. Most Christians do not know their Bible, so we need to start learning our Bible. Sadly, there's a high percentage of Christians that believe that the Bible ought to be looked at regularly to see how it fits into the culture and into the world. The Bible ought to be looked at to see, well, you know, that's, we're in the 21st century now, so these things that Jesus taught here 2,000 years ago really don't apply to this culture. Well, you ought to see the culture Jesus lived in and talked in. It was one crazy culture, and he taught the timeless truths of the word of God. And so when we think that the culture dictates the word of God, the word of God teaches the exact opposite, that we should let the Bible reshape us, not reshape the Bible for the current culture, because the culture is always in some kind of ebb and flow. Now, if I was going to teach this message just with raw facts, it would be about 10 minutes long. I know you're all saying, that's the message I came to hear, the 10-minute long one. Well, sorry, you're going to get the longer version. Because when we look at these things, it's more nuanced, it's more subtle because of what has been input and taught to people over and over and over. We've got to hear things sometimes and go, wow, even as Christians, we say, wow, I never thought about that. So we've got to think, we've got to process, we've got to look at, we've got to, we've got to think about what we've heard, what we've learned, what the Word of God says. And so we'll spend a little time doing that. And I will talk about things today that I've never talked about before. As far as I know, I've never mentioned some of these things in a pulpit because the culture has changed. And in fact, I don't do a lot of cultural teaching, but I do want to say this. If we don't teach what the Word of God teaches, then where do people get their ideologies? They get it from the world instead of from the Word. So we need to look at the Word. So the culture has set aside the month of June as Pride Month. Pride Month is about being proud that you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, which that also, I think, has an A to it and an I to it and several other things. And if you say, well, I'm not part of that, but I'm very proud to support my friends, family, classmates, co-workers who are a part of that, then we have to ask ourselves, should we or should we not be proud and celebrate the LGBTQ plus philosophies and lifestyle as well as I'm not going to let us all off the hook here because God's going to talk about some other things as well. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you agree? And then he hammers it down a little. Say, don't fool yourselves. Don't be deceived. Those who indulge in sexual sin. Now, just in case you say, well, I, think, I thought I was going to escape because I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but are you indulging in sexual sin of any kind? Okay, it's quiet. Okay. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, like abusive spousal abuse, child abuse, animal abuse, just abusive, or cheat people, some translations say are swindlers, or con men. None of these, he sandwiches it in here by wrapping back around to say, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. 
Now, if I don't go to the next verse, that's a pretty scary place to stop. Because probably all of us in this room can say, I've done some of those things. Maybe we say, I haven't done all those things, but I've done some of those things. You say, well, I don't know if I've done any of those. You ever been greedy? My guess is you have. You ever cheated someone? My guess is a, maybe not everyone, but a high percentage of people probably cheated someone at some point or another. Have you ever been abusive? There's a problem, but what's our solution? Our solution's in the next verse, verse 11. Some of you were once like that. The other translations say, and that's what some of you were. Do you hear the past tense to that? Were. It's not what you are now, it's what you were. By the way, I so want to say this again. I want this to be a safe place where even if we look through some of these things and you say, Tracy, we didn't touch on any of those topics, but when you hit one of these topics, maybe you're, the old, the old word was drunkard, now it's alcoholic. Maybe you're here today and you say, I, I struggle with alcoholism, I'm an alcoholic. We want to help. We don't want you to say, I can't never go back to that place. We want to help. We want to help. But some of you were once like that, but, whoo, this is good news. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right. Now, how? By turning over a new leaf, trying to do better, working harder? No. It says you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. There's our solution. We'll get back to that in a little bit. So from a Christian worldview or mindset, we should never be proud of living, behaving, or developing a lifestyle that violates the teachings of God. See, we would not dream of taking an entire month when we look at this list and say, we are going to celebrate abuse. Oh, we're not going to try to stop abuse, we're going to celebrate because it's just the way some of us are. Some of us are abusive to our spouses, our children, all that, so we're going to celebrate that. We, we're at least got enough sense to ourselves to say, why would you celebrate that? that that's sinful or wrong. Now, I would say many people in the LGBTQ plus community, as well as everyone who's gathered here today, would say, yeah, that would be wrong. It's wrong to celebrate abuse. But I want to say this, and I'm not trying to be funny, and I'm not trying to joke around here. I want to say this. Who says it's wrong? Who? who? Because when you or I, just in our own, make a statement that abuse is wrong, or drunkenness is wrong, or conning people and swindling people is wrong, we are making a statement that we believe is moral and ethical truth. So the question is, why did we get to draw the line there? Most of us will say, well, we draw the line there because we know that's wrong. Well, there's lines drawn all over the place by lots of different people. There's lines been drawn all over the place by, by lots of different cultures and over time past. Why do we keep moving the line? We keep moving the line because we do not have a standard for the line. The standard for the line is God. Now, that deals with every one of us here in everything and every part of our life. Because I want you to know this, regardless of what we're talking about today, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, you and I must glorify God. Next week, I'm going to talk about glorifying God. I've never preached on this subject before. We are to glorify God with our bodies, which are his. Well, so I can't do everything I want to do as a Christian? Correct. You cannot do everything you want to do as a Christian. So why not? Because I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm to glorify God in my body, which is his. So we wouldn't set aside time to celebrate abuse or lying or drunkenness or adultery or prostitution. And we also wouldn't say things like, well, 
hey, uh, I'm a believer. Oh, that's great. What do you do for a living? I'm a prostitution. I'm a prostitute. That would, that would tweak our, what? Yeah, I'm a Christian prostitute. What do you do for a living? I'm a swindler. I'm a Christian swindler. I mean, I love the Lord, man. And I've never, I, I feel like the Lord blesses me every time I rip somebody off. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. We wouldn't celebrate that. We would say that is wrong. So, do folks swindle? Do they lie? Do they get involved in drunkenness, abuse, adultery, prostitution? Sure they do. But we're still in touch enough to know that we wouldn't celebrate those things. The Bible says that it's a shame even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, some may ask a legitimate question. This is a legitimate question. Does the Bible actually say these things are wrong? Well, we just read it. And we could go to lots of other places. Well, we will find there's not even a hint, not even a maybe kind of little crack in it that, that being a, uh, involved, being a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, fornicator, adulterer, that any of those things are right. You won't find a little crack in there that says, you know, it might be okay to be a fornicator. It might be okay to be an adulterer. It might be okay. Maybe it is. No, you won't find anywhere that it will teach you it's okay. Now, when I share with some people, and, and by the way, I have friends that are involved in the, the LGBTQ plus community, and uh, we get along great, except generally when we're on this topic, and most of them are very mature, though, and I am too as we deal, but it's just like, gosh, you know, Tracy, it's just the, the Christian Bible so homophobic. And first of all, I think that word's ridiculous. I think the word is silly. A phobia is an intense, irrational fear of something. When I go have lunch with my gay friend, I have no phobia. You know, a true phobia, like, like some of you in this room may have a phobia about spiders. I mean, a phobia. In fact, when I said the word, something, whew, you know, if I would throw a picture of one up here, you'd have to walk out of the room because it would bring such angst to you. That's a phobia. So when you're called homophobic or transphobic or adultery phobic or, or any of those phobias, they're just silly words because it's, it's a very hateful sounding word that you can go, I don't know what to do with that. Well, I know what to do with it. It's a non-word. So here's a key. The reason God speaks so strongly against these topics is because it violates God's divine order. Let me get off the subject of the sexual stuff for a minute. God speaks very strongly against lying. Why does he do that? It violates who he is and his divine order. Thy word is truth. We serve a God who cannot lie. He pay, places this extreme premium upon truth. Thy word is truth. It's forever settled in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth has a priority in God's kingdom, so he'll say very strong words against being a liar. How about this one? Here's a strong one. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. It's a pretty strong word. I think. <laughs> you'll have your part in the lake of fire. Now, I do want to say this. All of us have told a lie. Well, I mean, except me and Darlene. But everybody else has told a lie. Of course, I just told one right then. Uh, so we've, we've all told a lie. So does that mean we all go to hell? We all get thrown into the lake of fire? No. There's a difference between having sinned and having a lifestyle of sinning. So I'm very serious about this. If you're here today and you have trouble with lying. I met two or three people in my life. They would go out of their way to lie. It's so confusing to me. I said, I just, I don't get that. You, you went out of your way to lie about something that is meaningless. So submit that to the lordship of Jesus. But God speaks strongly on these topics because it violates his divine order. God, it's absolute. if you'll just pause for a second and think about it, it's absolutely ingenious. God designed man and woman, brings them together in marriage, for procreation, the creating of a family, and it's just, it's absolutely, even scientifically and 
through biology and all. It's just absolutely mind-blowing how cool this is that God designed. And the other thing is that's designed to show something spiritual. The scripture says that when he talks about marriage and this relationship between the husband and the wife and the family, he says, I am speaking to you a mystery, for I am speaking about Christ and the church. And so there's supposed to be something that is even prophetic and gospel-driven about the marriage. Now, Satan hates the gospel. So if he can tear apart anything that presents the gospel, he wants to do that. And so he's against that. Now, it's sad that I have to mention this. I really mean this. It's really sad I have to mention this. But this is a scientific fact. Man and man doesn't work. Woman and woman doesn't work. See, I got my first understanding of the birds and the bees by working with my father, who was a licensed plumber. Because if you know anything about pipe fitting, you have male parts and female parts. Hmm. And I figured this out. We could not plumb a home with all male parts. And we could not plumb a home with all female parts. There was a proper way the things were designed to fit and work. And it is absolutely amazing, ingenious, brilliant beyond belief. So as we look at these things, we see how the Word of God teaches about cross-dressing or transgendering. It's an affront to God's design. The Bible clearly teaches that it's wrong for a man to dress up and pretend to be a woman. It's wrong, and vice versa. Now again, people say, well, that's just an Old Testament rule. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a universal principle that God says, I made something beautiful about women, I made something beautiful about men, and to pretend to be something that you're not is not God's design. Now, do I have, yes, I do, do I have tremendous compassion and love for those who struggle with any of these things that we're talking about, even the heterosexual sins that we're talking about. I have great compassion for that. There's no hate. There's no vile in me. I have great compassion. So if somebody's struggling with this stuff, I just don't think, well, that's not important. I think it is important. I think it's important that we help and love and pray. And the transgendering thing that's really becoming the darling of the culture war right now is... Very dangerous, and in my opinion, this is my opinion, very barbaric. Psychologists who aren't even against transgendering, I've read a few articles by psychologists and psychiatrists, have warned us, please, please do not, parents, do not allow your children and teens to transgender. Do not allow them to do that. Now, I'm talking about people who aren't even opposed to it, because they went on to say this, until you're fully developed, mentally, emotionally, and physically, do not make that decision. This particular psychologist said he thought the best age was 25 years of age. If you get to 25 years of age and you still want to transgender, he was saying, go ahead and do it. But not until then. Hmm. Why? He said, because medicine is designed. He says, as a doctor, I am designed to do the least invasive thing. So if you came to me and said, I'm suffering from headaches, this doctor was saying, I would not say, let's schedule you for brain surgery at the end of the week. He would say, if you have a doctor that does that run, you, he said, but I might meet with you and counsel with you and find out you live a very stress-filled life. How can I help you relieve stress? How can I help you deal with your circumstances in a more positive way? How can I do that and relieve stress from your life so that you will quit having headaches. That's the least invasive way. And I think we would all agree that's a better approach than just sending you off to brain surgery. Let's see if we can fix the problem. And so he says, and this is where he gets trouble, he says, when somebody comes to me and they say, I'm a man, but I feel like a woman, or vice versa, he said, the first thing I want to do is see if I can make them comfortable in their own skin. That is incredibly offensive to a lot of people. Because what you're saying is, 
the way you think and how you feel is not right. And I want to see if I can fix that. Now, he's not even against transgendering. He's saying that's the least invasive thing to do. But all of a sudden, it becomes offensive to try to get somebody to think differently or see themselves differently. Well, I appreciate that we are in an era, and I really mean this, we are in an era where we are saying stop the stigma. If you have a mental health issue, if you have an emotional issue, if you're suffering from depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts, get help. There's too many people taking their lives right now, and I say get help. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You have a mental issue, an emotional issue, a psychological issue, a, a depression issue, an anxiety issue, suicidal issue, go get help. Get help. I want this to be a safe place where you can say, I need help. And we will help get you help. There's no shame there. But when you say, I'm very serious about this, watch this, watch this, watch this uh, inconsistency. As soon as I say, I'm a man who feels like a woman. Can you counsel me to see if I could be comfortable being a man? There's a lot of back push on that. No, because you're saying something's wrong. Well, everybody's saying something wrong. It's just, what, what's wrong? Is my body wrong? Or is the way I perceive myself wrong? The person asking for help saying something's wrong. It's just, which are we going to dive into first? And so there are a lot, a lot of people who will say, to, how, how dare you say there's something wrong with the way you think or how you feel? That's not true. What's wrong is your body. We need to fix your body. So some life-altering drugs, some intense hormone therapy, a few reconstruction surgeries, and we will change your male body into a female body. But we do need, if they will say, if we've got to be honest with you, it ain't going to be a very good transition job. We're going to whittle and hack and cut and do this and do that. I've read too many stories. This person, not even, they didn't even seem to care that they transitioned, but they went from a man to a woman, and the surgeries and operations they had, they said this. I've had uh, staph and, and sepsis so many times. He said, this will kill me. This will be the death of me. It absolutely, one day, I will not survive this. It becomes pretty barbaric, and the truth is this. And I'm just telling you the truth, scientifically true. We cannot turn a man into a woman. We cannot turn a woman into a man. You say, but I'm struggling with that. I'm compassionate. I'll pray with you. I'll cry with you. I'll, I, I mean that. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you the truth. I want somebody to tell you the truth. Now, people say in our culture, I got buddies, and they'll, they're kind of liberal, and they'll say, uh, they believe in science. Well, I want to say, I believe in science because God created science. But I also believe in good science, not bad science. And what they mean, that's kind of code for, in, in their, I'm not saying it's code for everybody, but for my friends, that's code if we don't believe in that crazy God creationism, we believe in science, so we believe in evolution. That's what, that's what they're meaning when they tell me, Tracy, we, we believe in science. But as soon as you try to apply that, to our gender, our, it becomes offensive and hateful. Because again, if I went into a doctor and said, I, I, I want to be tested because I feel like I'm a woman, I think I'm a woman, but I need to run some scientific tests on me. And they went ahead and ran scientific tests of uh, physiology and anatomy and DNA and biology and molecular and all that. They would come back with the results that, Tracy, you are 100% a man. All the science would come back saying, I am a man. And again, not with everyone I'm saying, but with some people that's offensive because science is not supreme when it triumphs over how I feel and what I think. Now I want to say this again because I feel a need to, to really drive this home. How you think and what you feel is a super big deal. It affects your life. I'm not trying to dismiss it as unimportant. Who cares how you feel? Who cares what you think? It's very, very important. And so we need to figure out how do we balance all this in light of scriptures? Well, who decides what's right? Who decides what's wrong? Who decides what's sinful? Who decides what's virtuous? 
I'm proposing to you, because you might have noticed we're in a church here, and we came here to honor the name of Jesus, I, I say Jesus and the Christian scriptures should be where we get our, where we draw our line. So I suggest God, the giver of life, the creator of life, has the right to say, here's how to do life. Jesus actually came not to take life from you. You say, I struggle with these areas, and I feel like I'd be unfulfilled. You won't be unfulfilled in Jesus, but I am telling you, and I'll get to this again. I'm talking a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Not this little, I heard somebody say one time, are you married to Jesus or just dating him? And I thought, I think there's too many people just dating Jesus. You know, let's... I, I don't mind me living the way I want to live and having a little Jesus sprinkled on me because I might need him every now and then, but I'm talking a radical, life-changing, turnaround relationship with Jesus that actually changes how you see, what you perceive, how you think, and where you want to go with your life is the answer. So, we, the culture, I want to say a small portion of the culture, have decided to set aside, and I, I really did find this funny, we have decided not to set aside a day, not to set aside a week, We've decided to set aside a month to honor and celebrate LGBTQ+. I've often told you this. I don't listen to the talking heads that much. I listen to what I call soft stats. If I listen to the talking heads, everyone is all excited about Pride Month and LGBTQ+. But when I watch the soft stats and I watch Budweiser... Lose, depending upon what article you read, between 17 and $27 billion when they did something transgender-friendly. This tells me there's a whole lot of people out there that aren't really comfortable with this yet. When I see Target lose $10 billion, that's with a B, both of these are with a B, $10 billion in just a few days because of their stance on some of this stuff, I'm saying their stock's devalued by $10 billion. So, apparently not everybody's into this. Now, some will say, well, it's just a small group of you Christians who oppose this. Really? Then there's a small group of beer-drinking Christians that are really sucking down the suds. <laughs> and who invest heavily, apparently, into Budweiser and Target. <laughs> Memorial Day sales for Budweiser were down 60%. 60%. Memorial weekend is a big beer drinking weekend. I don't know that personally, just I've heard that. It's a big beer drinking weekend. I mean, the pool's open, the beach is open, the, the summer uh, begins, at least meteorological summer begins, and, and you got a day off, and the grills are open, and everything's great, and we're cooking. None of you are drinking, but I mean, other people are cooking and drinking out there. And 60% their normal, of their normal Memorial Day sales are down. And I just want to tell you, Darlene and I made a statement. We did not buy one Budweiser over Memorial Weekend. Not a single, not a single one. So we, we took a not ever. <laughs> so, now that's not her choice of beer. Um, so anyway. So anyway. <laughs> Just for those who do not know, we actually are the two people left on planet Earth who don't drink, so uh, we, we don't drink. But here's something I really want to bring up to us. What do we do? Who makes a decision? You know, there's a group I heard about 30 years ago called NAMBLA. When I was preparing this message a couple weeks ago, I thought, I wonder if that group even still exists. So I looked it up. NAMBLA still exists. You say, what in the world's NAMBLA? It's North America Boy Love, Man, Man Boy Love Association. It's a real, real, I looked it up, they got the website and everything. Um, you say, I still don't know what it is. Okay, well, let me tell you. It is adult men who want to have homosexual sex with consenting children. Their motto used to be, supposedly, I do want to say supposedly, 30 years ago I heard this was their motto. If not before eight, then it's too late. Hmm. Now I want to say in fairness, that's not on their current website, so that's not their motto, at least on their website. 
So what they're saying is, and they have a big push on the website against ageism. In other words, you're discriminating against children because of their age, and that an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old has the wherewithal mentally and emotionally to decide if they want to have homosexual relationships with a 40-year-old man. Quit discriminating against them and let them join us in this homosexual relationship. Now you say, well, I don't think 8 and 10-year-olds do have. Well, you might have known, this isn't normal, but you might have known throughout the world there's been 8 and 10-year-olds who wanted to transgender, and they've been, their parents said no, and the government will step in and say, oh, that's abusive, and these children should, and they should be given puberty blockers, and they should do whatever. And again, I do want to say it, that doesn't happen every day, everywhere. But in Nambla's mind, if they can figure out that they want to do all that to themselves, then surely they are old enough to decide that they can have homosexual sex with adult men. So who gets to decide this? Because as soon as you say, that's wrong, who says? Well, Tracy, that's a gross exaggeration that would never happen in the world. Really? Because it happened in Rome. In the days of Jesus, the elite avant-garde homosexual men who had the money would purchase and buy a boy sex slave purchased and bought to pleasure them whenever they wanted to have sex with that boy. So the society's already been there, so it's not a stretch that we would go back to it. So who decides? Well, what are we going to do? I have some options for us. Number one, we can retreat into our churches and hide from the world. That's a really bad plan. The second one's worse. We can scream and hate those outside our belief system. There is a church or two that does that. One's pretty famous for their vile, angry, evil remarks towards those who don't believe like they believe. That's a bad system too. Or three, we can live in the royal law of love. Here in a moment when we close the service, we'll call it the, the message Bible calls it the royal rule of love. And we can offer an alternative to the world, which is Jesus. But I am going to tell you this. A casual mamby-pamby walk with Jesus where you say, oh yeah, I guess I'll say a little prayer to Jesus and go live however I want, has no transformative power. It has no transformative power. It's stepping into a life-changing relationship with Jesus where I say, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'll glorify God with my body. I want to challenge you to do a couple things on your assignment list for the week. There's an amazing article I just stumbled across a week or ten days ago. It's called, Why Hollywood Praises Elliot Page and Blacklists Me by Beckett Cook. I hate to tell you this, I'm so out of touch with stuff that I thought, who's Elliot Page? I did not know who Elliot Page was. You may be here today and say, I don't know either. I didn't know who Becca Cook was either. But I would encourage you to write that down, take a photo of it with your smartphone, whatever, and look that article up. You can just go to a search engine and look it up. It will take you all of five minutes to read. I'm very serious about this. Would you take five minutes to read the article? It'll be informative to you. I'll give you the highlights of it, but there's so much more to it. Becca Cook was one of the... Uh, main designers for Hollywood, made buku bunches of money, and his identity was wrapped up in his gayness. And he said he had lots of boyfriends, he marched in many a parade, and fought tirelessly for uh, the right for homosexuals to marry. He went into church one day, doesn't explain how he got there, what he did, but he went into church one day, he said, I walked in the door, a gay atheist, and came out the door a born-again believer. He said, no one was more shocked by that than I was. That's what he said. And it's a beautiful article because he says, I still struggle with same-sex attraction, but I have, he had such a life-changing encounter with Jesus. He said, oh my goodness, I decided to live a celibate life in order to just bring glory to God and to praise him. And he said, but all of a sudden, um, under the most weird and frivolous and silly excuses, no one wanted to use me anymore. 
He said, I lost all my business. My closest friends, I thought, he, this is how naive he was. We're all trying to be our authentic self. Beckett Cook became a Christian, revealed his authentic self as a Christ follower, and he said, I was met with hostility. And he said he actually lost his closest, dearest friends. He said, why? Why? What, what happened here? And he said, and, and by the way, he said, I'm not trying to be a victim. He said, I consider knowing Christ, I count, like the Apostle Paul, I count everything refuse, rubbish, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. I want to ask you this question. Is that where your commitment with Jesus is? That you would consider it a loss, everything a loss, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus? Most people would say, probably not. I mean, that's a little more commitment than what I want to have. That's the commitment we're called to. Elliot Page serendipitously, we turn on the TV to watch the news. We always watch local news for some reason. It wasn't on that station. Up came Good Morning America or something like that, and Elliot Page was on. Elliot Page is a gal who sees herself as a guy, and I know oh, you all might not. Somebody beat me up for my poor use of pronouns, but I just... I. I'm old enough, it's just so hard. She is in every way a woman, but sees herself as a man. And she's done wonderful things in Hollywood. And she began to tell her story. I was heartbroken for her. I had compassion for her. I just thought of all the things she's suffered and all the stuff she's gone through and what she's still going through to this day. And I was heartbroken for her. And as soon as that interview was over, we shut that TV off and we began to pray for her. And there was such a heart of love and compassion. There was no vim or vile or anger or anything, but nothing but compassion for her. And I want to encourage us to have that kind of heart. Now, you may say, Tracy, I have family members that are in the LGBTQ+, or, or co-workers or classmates. What, what, what would you suggest for me? I'm going to suggest two things for you that on the surface you're going to think are just too casual, and they're not good enough, but they're more than good enough. The first one is pray for them. <sighs> Can't you give me something different to pray for them? No, pray for them. Pray for them. James 5 tells us that the prayers of a righteous person. Our righteousness isn't how well we behave today. Our righteousness is who Jesus is in us. Now, for the record, I'm all for us behaving, but it's who I am in Christ. And James 5 says that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective, powerful and effective, powerful and effective. So we need to be people of prayer and pray. Now I know there would be some who would say, you don't need to pray for me because what I'm doing is not sin, it's not wrong, it's beautiful, it's all that. It, it's, it's not. There's nowhere in Scripture we can support that if we want to have a Christian mindset. The next thing I want to challenge you to do, and you're probably doing it, is just love them. Love them as much as you can love them. You say, where do I draw the line on stuff, Tracy? I don't know. I won't judge you for where you draw the line because I know that loving them is not just saying I celebrate and accept and it's all wonderful, that loving them's different. Jesus loved people, but he would tell them the truth. He loved the person caught in adultery, but he told her, I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. He didn't say, I know you're in a hard place financially. I know our culture doesn't do well with single women. I know that you struggle all the time, so I get it. Maybe you're making some money on the side or maybe you have to commit adultery to to get some, some resources or goods, but he didn't make any excuse for it. He said, go and sin no more. So pray for them and love them. And it may be a quandary at times of what to do. Just make your decisions based out of love. Not compromise, but love. And begin to pursue in your own life a life that offers them hope, that offers them help, not condemnation and hate. Now, the second assignment I have for you, it's an interview with a gal named Jackie Hill Perry. I saw her about five years ago. I don't know a whole lot about her, so I just know this, that there's an interview. Don't get scared. The interview is like 48 minutes long. But it's broken down in segments. They ask her a question, she answers a question. And she tells her story of coming out of, of homosexuality. She also tells a story about her getting married and having children and she said, I want to tell you this, our culture is messed up because they get more excited that I got married and that I had a kid than they do that I gave my life to Jesus. 
She said, there's no rule that you got to have be married and have a child. I came into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That should be the most celebratory thing. So the opening slot is seven minutes. So now if you do what I ask you to do, and I really would challenge you to, you're going to spend about seven to eight minutes in that opening slot and about five minutes. So you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna invest a whole whopping 12, 13 minutes this week, and you can go to YouTube and type that in, and she is so full of God. I was just going to watch the first little bit. I watched the whole thing. I, I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but her story motivated me to go after God. I said, my goodness, girl, you've gone after God. You've fallen in love with him. He's changed your life. And I went, "Woo! I need some of that. I want some more of that. A life-changing relationship with Jesus. No condemnation out of her, no hate out of her, none of these people. And then if you have any questions, email me. I would like to say one last time. No one ever emails me. I don't know what it is. Or if you're saying, I'm emailing you, I must not be getting them. If you email me and you don't hear back from me in 24 to 48 hours, send me another email because something went awry. And there is a sermon resource. As one year ago, I talked about what does God say. And you can go to our website, incrossroads.org, and you can just go to messages and search and just put in what does God say, and that'll come up. And it deals with all mostly different things than what we dealt with today. So I want us to pray. And I want us, I want us to fall in love with people who don't see things the way we see them. I'm going to steal this line from somebody because it was so good. Think about this. Here's the line. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. I want to live my life that way. I want to live my life. People say, Tracy, I don't agree with anything you believe or think, but I like you. Because the love of God should be coming out of us because the love of God has been exploded in our hearts by the Holy Spirit.